Welcome to Why Though. We're your hosts, Tiffany Bloom and Ashley Abercrombie. We land somewhere in between Mother Teresa and Biggie Smalls, and we're just wondering, why though? We all have questions, from our existential crisis curiosities to our, hey girl, why your eyebrows look so good though? And we want to tackle all of those questions with you. Welcome back to Why Though. We are excited to start this podcast by doing the obvious. And if you are over the age of 50 and under the age of 30, don't <laughs> check out on us. You have a responsibility do to your community, the beloved community, which is every person on the earth, including millennials, whether you understand us or not, geriatric millennials specifically, which Tiffany is not one, but no, I am. Not, not yet. And I want to talk about why. Why, why did the universe hand us a win after two years of COVID? Because they devoted both the halftime show of the Super Bowl and many of the commercials yes, the to commercials people our age. Too. And I'm thrilled about it. I am it's thrilled so that God himself decided to give us the most <laughs> Los Angeles <laughs> halftime so show good. on the earth that was solely devoted to me in the 90s and the early 2000s. Because I was here for it, okay? And Mary J. Blige in her boots. I'm oh here my for gosh, it. those boots. Oh my God. And they even it got was, the young buck. They brought Kendrick uh, on. You know, if we got to have a young on. buck to throw in the mix and as he's a from prophetic. Compton. He's from Compton. Yeah, correct. Yep. And as so a prophetic good. picture of the future, yeah. that is exactly what they gave us. And I'm here for it. And I thank the good living Lord. Okay, I have to tell you something funny. Did you see that uh, trending tweet that said everybody from. Um, born in 85 to 95 is loving this i'm like uh no try uh, 75 to 87 wrong uh, wrong uh wrong yeah. wrong decade there buddy because i'm like well, yeah one of those songs they sang came out in 93 and then yeah. you know, obviously into club was 2003 so there's a yes there was it was like 93 to 2003 hits and it was just you know what okay i just gonna go there the fact that they just kept it so on brand i love a theme ashley it was mm-hmm. west coast it was yes. 30 years of Dre's influence. It, just the mm-hmm. West Coast hip hop and just the development. Oh, as you said, they got the young book. Mm-hmm. I just, and even the floor just of LA, I'm like, what are you doing? This is so good. I can't even deal. I can't even deal. It's too much. Yep. It was too good. It was fantastic. Uh, That's That was the best stage presentation I've seen at the Super Bowl. And yes, you guys so can fight varied. me on it if you want to. But I mean, they literally put Compton in the middle of the football field and then just decided to build like beautiful white trailers and have cars and like all the things that they had it was remarkable you and guys girl, you were know getting 50 down be hanging so upside hardcore. down like that music video and i'm like that uh, did I you see know. that tweet They're like that's a whole dollar that ain't 50 and i'm like leave the man alone he's like almost a senior citizen like, i love 40. it he is not a senior citizen i no, reject he's that he's 50. He's <laughs> oh is he 50? yes he, he might be 49 but i think he's 50. <laughs> So no, he's only halfway through his life, first of all. Second of all, the man has abs of steel. I'm not surprised. My favorite meme was the one of Spider-Man hanging upside down, the cartoon Spider-Man hanging upside down, and then um, a commentary about 50 cents. I thought that was remarkable. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. I was not prepared. Um, I should have been, but I was not prepared for 50 to have so many um, girls booty popping. Yeah. And my little boys' eyeballs came out of their heads. Yes. Yes, we had the same problem. One of them was, the older one was preoccupied with Legos in the kitchen, so he missed yep. the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one, we like, <laughs> we like suffocated him with a blanket. 
We just kept trying to make them look away with our dance moves, but they weren't really having it. So they got a good blend of like, what are my parents doing? And what is happening on this TV? Yeah. Kingston at the end looked at me. He's like, I like that. I'm like, okay. Like, I bet you did, I was like, okay. Well, not the best part of this. Oh, my god! I was like, well, small vice to pay. Honestly, it cracks me up because, you know, I think back now when I watch movies from the 80s or the early 90s, like my kids are not even allowed to watch Toy Story 1 because the amount of times they say stupid or idiot or all these different things they say in there. And I think about the 90s and the 80s and how we truly were coming up when TV was like the most racist, the most ridiculous, the most sexist, like everything about it was just awful. And we were so here for it. And what did my little 13 to 18 year old behind have? business doing singing these songs that Mary J. Blige was singing like I knew what I was talking about and rapping these songs like I knew what I was talking about yeah I didn't have a clue I didn't know nothing about nothing I know every word to every one of these every single word (laughs) every single word it was glorious no I didn't know every word to Kendrick's I'll be honest I didn't know yeah yeah I only knew a few the big ones um, I will. My right? husband knew though. My, hundred, my husband is a very, very, very big uh, Kendrick Lamar fan, which I am as well. I think his. Uh, you know what I kept saying uh, when he was particularly performing? I kept saying out loud, "This is art. This is art. This it is, is art." art. I just but couldn't get the over thing. the. That's the, what hip hop has always been, yes. and people need to to show it the respect that it deserves because it's, it's prophetic. Incredible. It yes. tells the truth about reality. And there's a place for anger to live in hip hop, which is why I've always personally loved it because no other genre really gives you that. Um, and I appreciate it. Like there's a play, they put aggression into music and dance yeah. in a way that is healthy and life-giving and just releases something. Mm-hmm. Like I'm telling you, I used to go around and smoke a menthol cigarette and listen to some hip hop music and or, or some kind of R&B where I could release a bunch of emotion and like life got better, you know? Yeah. So I feel like there is, it, it's art, period. Yeah, it was truly, I, I just, I've rewatched, I mean, I know it's the number one trending video on YouTube is the halftime show, and I count me among those bajillion people, 18 million by the next morning had already watched it, and I was one Bam. because I was like, this is just so good, I can't even deal, I, I can't even deal. It was <sighs> fantastic. <sighs> what a time. I will tell you, too, it just reminds you, like, some of those beats like when Dre sat down at the piano and you're just like, game over. Just those few notes on the piano yep. and you're like, all the memories come rushing back. Also, let's be honest, for some of us, this was an easier time. <laughs> we were listening to that stuff and life was young. We didn't got no bills yet. So listen, I disagree because I remember those songs were like some of my, the height of my addiction. The mm. like, you know, I feel like those songs really got me through the early 2000s, you know, because my addiction and stuff started in late 1999. And then I didn't um, start to really get sober until 2002. And so for me, those songs represent so many things. Um, Mm. So, yeah, I definitely it was not an easier time in my life. But it was also a time where I was learning and finding myself and and learning to express myself and learning what I loved and what I didn't love. And so I feel like that that music so deeply connects me to a time in my life where I was in an an impossible state (laughs) and Mm. a place where I needed to move through it to get to transition. So, Are yeah. you able to listen to them now withholding the tension of the beauty and the impossibility? 100%. And plus, it's just freaking good music. Like, yeah. whenever it comes on, it's over. You know, like, it doesn't take me yeah. down a bad spiral, but it does just... 
I think about this with the Lauren Hill Miseducation album. Like that mm. will always be my favorite album, even though I love the Unplugged. But it's because that time in history was a time where you know music was a comfort and an aid to me and was an opportunity for me to release things that I couldn't release with people but needed to be released. And I think that's just what the power of music is. It's like it can invade your heart and give you language for things that you don't have language for. And it can give you um, an opportunity for release, be it, you know, fast lyrics over a killer beat that helps you release maybe some aggression or some pent up frustration, or maybe it's a song that you can sing badly or well that allows you to pour out um, tears and heartache and grief and disappointment. Like I think music just gives us this way of dealing with the world in the same way that poetry does or art. Like there is this, you know, um, this this thing that we don't have words for that lives on the inside of all of us during every season of life. And art is such a catalyst for capturing that. It really is, so well said. May I ask, what year did you move to LA? I was actually thinking about that Mm -hmm. during the Super Bowl as they were doing all this. I'm like, I bet she moved there at the height of all of this influence, this musical influence. Yes, some of it. So I moved in 2002. Actually, um, it was 20 years ago this month. (gasps) No way. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, my goodness gracious. So So fabulous. Well, there you go, people. We clearly enjoyed it. And as you yes. said, Mary's boots. Mary's boots. And then mm. when she just laid down at the end of it, I was like, that's life, Mary. You just yes, you just pour is. yourself out and then you lay down, girl. You, you lay want down, to lay down. She like, it. yeah, she just represented all of us in that moment. I appreciated it. It was so good. I also would just, I want a little BTS. I want to know how long 50 had to hang upside down until he made his appearance because we didn't know he was coming, you know. I'm like, I wonder if they, like, once they got him situated, like, hey, buddy, we'll hold you up until the final moment. I'm just genuinely curious how long he had to hang upside down. I know. know. It would be interesting to find this information out. (laughs) I'm just like, someone, please. How how do we find out? It's too good. Well, um, today, y'all. Um, I've had uh, something that has just been mulling around, and I had a conversation with a, uh, a dear, dear friend of mine recently, um, and I know you're listening, Dustin Jensen. He was uh, my middle school youth pastor, and um, when I met him and his wife, uh, my whole world changed. It was when I discovered that I was worthy and lovable, and it was okay to be brown, and this couple truly changed the trajectory of my life. and. Um, I got to reconnect with them recently, and we had a conversation that um, I, I'd been thinking about for a while, and they spoke some wisdom into this, and he works for the Department of Defense now, and his wife, um, Kaylee, who's a treasured gift to me, is a mental health therapist, um, and we talked about failure, and we specifically were thinking about our children and how more than ever, partly because of social media and partly just because of the pressure cooker of the world we live in, there's just no room to fail. And I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Ashley, but I feel like even the threshold for when we're going to allow or not allow people to fail has lowered. Um, you know, I think of even just like kids sports <laughs> and the intensity of kids getting cut and they're 10 years old and not room to just go try things and not be good at them and let that be okay to just try and fail. And we've so tied failure to identity. Um, And I think even in the Christian space, we're like, no, it's not who you are, but we still punish you just the same if you failed. Mm. And so just this idea, because there's a difference between failure and fault. And this is something that I've been kind of mulling on today is this idea of failure and fault. And just we often 
combine the two into one definition. And there's a myriad of reasons why we might fail in life uh, professionally, privately, relationally, socially, financially. Um, you know, we're not, we can't handle a challenge or a task is too difficult. And we just don't know yet or inability or there is deviance involved. You know, there's all kinds of reasons why we might um, have feelings of failure, especially um, for those of us who are like, okay, I'm in the second third of my life, as Anne Lamont likes to say. I love how she breaks it down into thirds instead of halves. Um, and just thinking of like, maybe I thought I'd be farther than I am right now. And those feelings uh, that no one else would project on us, per se, as an adult, but that we feel deeply and it really becomes the lens we see through. So I just want to throw out these questions today and kind of wrestle through and work through how we view failure because I think a lot of us, um, it can kind of creep through the back door these feelings of, of, of being a failure or how we view failure, how we might judge others in their capacity to fail and um, how we can architect spaces and thoughts and even just spaces for people in our community to fail and let that be an okay part of life that isn't something to be... Um, you know, realigned or put lipstick on it, that it's something else. But failure really is, I I, th- I think it can be a gift, quite frankly. So it is. That is that is what I want to bring to the table today, y'all. Yeah, I, I love talking about failure because it is one of those things in life that is just part of living. It's part of being a yeah. human. It is part of being, um, you know, in relationship with others. It is part of growing and learning. And I think that, you know, we are taught implicitly in our world or even in our family structures that it's not okay to fail or that mistakes are super detrimental. And I'm thankful for the recovery work that I've had to do because you start with failure. (laughs) It's like we come out of denial and recognize that no one is perfect and that we are going to fail and that there are, you know, real character issues that every person deals with. Even if you're like close to being Mother Teresa, you've still got some stuff that you have to deal with because that is literally what it means to be human. Mm. And so I think we have to, we have to deal with that and we have to reckon with it. And I think a lot of times people's, you know, harsh standards of judgment for others come from their harsh judgments of themselves. And so whenever I see someone who's holding an impossible standard over another one, I'm like, gosh, it must be miserable to be you (laughs) You because that usually means, and not in all cases, but because sometimes people are doing absolutely nothing, but then judging everybody harshly. But even that you can trace to shame, which Mm -hmm. usually comes from Mm -hmm. judging yourself sharp, Mm -hmm. harshly. So I think that, you know, it's, it really is this cyclical thing. But when I do see people, you know, dealing with this in a major way or unable to fail or unable to make mistakes or unable to, you know, um, to let anyone else, I think, gosh, they, they really do not like themselves right now because they are out of touch with their own brokenness and out of touch with the fact that they probably failed six times this week already in minor and major ways. Um, yeah, so I, I really like this conversation and I think it's a really important one to have. I, I really appreciate how you talked about that in recovery. This is like ground zero is like, hey, right. we know we got problems and we're here to get some help. We're here to fix these things and, and or not and understand that we're, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, hopefully. Yeah, but, 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 you know, some things can't be fixed is my point. Yeah, like we all, I yeah. think humans want a fix. Mm-hmm. So you go to therapy, you go to recovery, and you're like, everybody fix me, fix me. It's like, it's, some things can't be fixed. You are going yeah. to be failing until you die, just like you are going to have conflict with others until you die. Like, this is what it means to be human. Yeah. And that's what that's I want to That's a very healthy perspective. That, it, that's it, where I'm, true. That's, maybe that's what I was trying to get at. <laughs> so thank you for correcting me. I appreciate that. But, but you're right. Like, this is part of the human experience. And I just think more than ever... 
um, we we have created even less space. And I think, you know, I think about in education in America, we're like, you know, 26th, 27th, I don't know, somewhere in there as far as education goes. And I'm like, what if that's okay? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I know we're the developed world and we want to see people succeed. And obviously we need to remove barriers. So all can have access to a quality education. Yeah. Cause it but is this idea, in America. It, it tr- truly, we are in agreement on this and yeah. we're not afraid to tell you y'all that we, <laughs> if you're yeah. an educator, we want to let you know, we love you and we here for you. Most of them say the same because I'm with you, Tiff. <laughs> and you know, it's a mass exodus right now. Yes, exactly. You know, it's a mass exodus. It's from, impossible. And, and administrators and educators, mm-hmm. I mean, it's crazy right now. Yep. But this idea that there isn't room and, and it's so young and I come, I'm so type A. And so I'm, like you said, I'm going in to think, okay, where did this come from? So many of us in our family of origin, if we failed, we took that as like, I am a failure. It's not something I did. It's who I am. Mm -hmm. And being able to separate those and understand that our worth isn't defined by our mistakes, by our failures. I think we have to be able to re-examine how we see ourselves. Because like you said, we will project this till the cows come home. And it's so detrimental to community. And so much of the through line of what we've talked about since January here at Why Though is what does it mean to have a healthy life and healthy community? And, you know, we've talked about social media and we've talked about who, you know, the last 20 years and all of these things. But when we look at ourselves now, how do we view, view failure? Because I think it's a real good time to take a look because so much of our expectations of others are built around our understanding of failure and accomplishment and success and what people should achieve in their lives, what we expect of ourselves. And obviously there's healthy expectations of yourself for sure, for sure. But I'm talking about the ones that are like, why am I striving for this in such a manner that I feel worthless unless I achieve X, Y, Z. And I think here, we are too in the aftermath of Valentine's Day and I saw I, I mean I'm not for the Hallmark holiday I know you aren't either Ashley we didn't do anything because it don't matter and I'm gonna eat my kids candy so we're fine here I'm gonna <laughs> eat cheap candy <laughs> and I did and I did I did I did have a little gift for a Galentine uh, down the street but um, but so many single friends like this is so hard and I'm just like oh we even just the perception that your whole if you got it together if all these qualifiers when in reality going back to seeing failure as a teachable moment as a gift and you know what resiliency doesn't come on uh, on the beach in Cabo y'all resiliency is built in the everyday it's built in the ordinary it's built in understanding maybe when we do fail being able to examine it and be like what is this teaching me maybe this is just Reminding me, maybe there's an area to learn. Maybe I need to walk away from something or maybe I need to lean into something. Just being able to see it for what it is instead of feeling like, you know what? I stink at this. I'm worthless. I think that we so easily adopt what we do as who we are. And as as you say often, we're a human being, not a human doing. Mm -hmm. And being able to differentiate those and especially how we treat others. Do you think this is a personality thing too? Because I think about this a lot. Like it seems to me that some personalities are more hardwired to feel like failure is negative and that their achievements are what determine, you know, success in life. Mm-hmm. And like, do you feel like it's it could be per, like a personality leaning as well as like, hey, this is actually my lived experience in the world. But I'm curious what you think there. Yeah, I definitely think personality plays into right. it. And I also think family of origin. Mm-hmm. Um you know, if if you were punished to kingdom come 
for a failure that you couldn't control or maybe that you could to the point that you were convinced this that you're bad I think that that will have a tremendous influence on how you view failure even if there is something to learn from it when you're older you know um, we've had experiences where uh, my my son had a had some missteps and uh, somebody who was in authority over him was like, he's just bad. This is who he is. And it was like, wait a second. His failures don't make a man. The failures don't make a man or a woman. Like he is in process. He is raw materials molded for goodness all the days of his life. And so I think Mm -hmm. this under, you know, it it really is again, going back to projections and how we see ourselves. Um, So it's something that I've, I think I've witnessed in our, our family life, but then also it made me, take a pause to look at, wait, how do I view failure? And where is this coming from? And why would I process failure in such a negative light to the point that it's unredeemable? Mm, Yeah, that's so important. And um, I think that this world too, that we live in, you know, to your point earlier and social media and different things like that, and all of us moving towards a trend of understanding, Mm -hmm. trying to discover who people really are, what, who has been left out, who's not at the table, who needs um, to help to empower their voice, who needs to maybe stop talking a little. Like there's a lot of dialogue about that publicly. And I think all of it is boiling back down in, in its most, health, most healthy form to understanding so that we can be deeply connected that. to each other so that we can I have solidarity that. with one another. And the opposite of that, of course, is the polarization that happens where we begin to reject each other. We can't handle difference. We can't tolerate one another. But what I have seen even in the internet spaces is that you know people are demonized more like what you just talked about, where you just think to yourself like, oh, this particular group of people is redeemable like everything about them sucks the way they think sucks the way they vote sucks the the way they are living in this world ruins everything for everybody else and when we sort of start to do the thing that hinders understanding the most which is to broad stroke and stereotype yeah and and sometimes things are just true like Mm -hmm. i'm not going to pretend like the alt-right has noble intentions here or that there's some way to you know make a nazi redeemable you know what i mean like can god do anything sure but is is there a high chance this person's going to die a racist yeah so i Mm -hmm. think we have to also acknowledge reality yeah but we have to be careful not to put everybody in a camp and I think that also comes back to fear of failure in a weird way. Mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get there. I'm rounding it out here. But it comes back to fear of failure because we need the type of security that it gives us to put somebody in a camp and to put mm. somebody in a box. And we are mm. afraid if we get connected to them, something might happen. We're going to fail here. They're going to fail us. Like it just it kind of all about boils back down to this this need to reject someone so that we don't have to get close, so that we don't have to be vulnerable. But we need all that. And yeah. Understanding is so critical and important, but the only way to get to understanding is to fail. And so I think that that is what's so difficult about the world we're living in. And the kids that we're raising are growing up in this internet world. Like my kids will never know life outside of a tablet or outside of some sort of internet connection, which is not my experience growing up. So, you know, I knew my neighbors. I was deeply connected to people who were very different than me um, because that's just what life required. I was standing in grocery store lines with people that I had to look at because I'm not on a phone. And you know what I mean? Like you're talking to your gas station attendant because he's standing right there when you're pumping your gas and you know like it's it was just such a different time so I think we have to 
overcome this idea that people are never going to fail us or that we're never going to fail others. That is just, it is what it is. If you want to be in relationship and you want to be close, that's going to, that's going to include failure. Absolutely. I love that. I think there has to be room for that. And also to your point of this internet world we live in, as you are all listening to this on your phones, um, Mm. we, we are (laughs) failing loud. We're failing loudly because we're able to witness other people's missteps or downfall in a way yep. that we weren't able to in the past. So mm-hmm. it's there's more public failure, I feel like, mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, we talk about cancel culture, but there is a reality to even before cancel culture. And there's I think there is space for that. Um, and that's a nuanced conversation to have yes, that we're not is. having right now. But there, this idea that everyone's going to know if. You know, this this understanding that everybody knows my business or everybody knows what where I where I'm not excelling or everyone knows my lack. And to your point, that's okay if it's happening in vulnerable and safe community. Right. There's room for that in a place where you're seen, known and belong. Yep. But there's room for grace and there's room for understanding. And it's okay. It's okay. Like you said at the beginning, Ashley, this is part of the human experience. We can't expect ourselves to get it right all the time. I am the type A Enneagram three glass half full, constantly surprised when things don't go well. <laughs> so I've always got uh, room to grow in this area. That cracks me up, and I'm like the the very the eight is so opposite of that <laughs> in a in a really good way. But eights are high achievers, and I I completely understand like not wanting to fail. I mean, I think that is that's been a real part of my story, especially someone who's been wearing a mask their whole life until mm. I was you know in my twenties, my early twenties, and going through recovery and feeling like perfection would mean rejection and that people Mm. imperfection would mean rejection and that people wouldn't want to be close to me if they really knew that I couldn't arrive for them the way that they wanted me to and that I was unable to you know kind of match them in relationship or I was unable to serve them in relationship then somehow to to me that meant failure and something you said earlier reminded me of this I listen to armchair expert all the time I love it so much and Dak Shepard has been talking with several of his guests one of them being Brene Brown about this this idea of what happens when you admit failure in society and he he was he talks very often about his absolute hatred for Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg and you know I'm neither here or there about any of it but what I thought was really interesting is that he talked about wanting to hold you know these big social media companies accountable for the their influence and impact on people regardless of what their intentions are but he held that in tandem with the fact that we make it so impossible for people to admit failure. And he's like, if they admit how badly they've screwed up, how deeply they've affected teenagers, how much they're messing up, you know, people's relationships with the polarizing ideas that they foster on their platforms. Um, If they admit all of this, then that means real penalties, not even in money, but potentially jail time and all these other things. He's like, so they can't say, hey, we started building this thing out of nothing. It got completely out of control. And now we've wounded, you know, millions of people across the world. And we don't know what to do about it. Because if they did that, it would so deeply impact what happens to them and what happens to their platform and what happens to their leadership. And so I thought it was a really interesting Mm. perspective. He's like, I want them held accountable, of course. And I think we all do Mm -hmm. in general, not even just talking about Facebook, but I want people to be held accountable. But why would people admit failure if it means that, that to your point earlier, Tiffany, it's irredeemable. And so I think that that's a big broad general public sector of society one, but we can boil that down to our real lives. You know, are we afraid to admit 
admit failure because it might mean loss of relationship or it might mean loss of reputation or it might mean that boundaries change in a relationship or that something happens to us or what if it means radical grace in your relationship and mercy that you don't deserve and what if it means that you get to go deeper in relationship with people because they realize that you're not perfect and all of that is certainly part of my own story is that i realized when i started admitting my failures admitting that i wasn't perfect that i that i grew in reciprocity and i grew in meaningful relationship and i grew in intimacy because people saw me as a human and they it it also enabled others to exhale and, and admit their own brokenness as well because that's what we're all dealing with like we are living life in the human experience and it is hard and there will be failure and there will be difficulty and there will be disappointment and yes we need to figure out accountability and all the other things Mm -hmm. (laughs) but Mm -hmm. I just think it's important on a personal level that we really do start to grapple with this I appreciate this topic of conversation yeah I like what you said especially not only do we need these entities to admit fault and what and obviously there's ramifications for that and I like that yes he pointed that out but it also just reminds me not only are we publicly failing out loud yes. on the internet we're also seeing everyone's wins constantly because it's this curated life that we're presenting Gross. to everyone yeah. so we're witnessing all these wins we're like these people aren't failures we convince ourselves that they're subhuman that they're superhuman in a way that we could never achieve and I think yeah. especially these younger generations I'm like this is terrifying and you know all the research that's come out in that whistleblower that 14 year old girls on Instagram are you know having such poor mental health and I'm like well we've already we already know it's happening and it it really is it's it's in real life it feels like there's no room to fail yeah and then uh, and that that threshold is is a lower and lower age but then also (laughs) digitally we're like so convinced everyone's winning that we're like, wait a second, I don't know if I can be myself here. <laughs> right. And, and if Which you're is why you got to limit it, man. Got to limit it. And yeah. also go back and listen to our social media intentions in 2022. I think that would yeah. really be a benefit um, to harken back to a few yes. weeks ago. Well, those are my thoughts on all things failure and how we process and just being mindful, right, Ashley? Being mindful yeah. of how we walk this out because it's something – that subconsciously affects how we move and live and operate in the world. Yes. And it's it's worth bringing into the conscious thought. It is, absolutely. And um, if you guys have thoughts about this, please share. Mm. And maybe we even do a part two of this failure idea because I think it's so smart to talk about it and how to deal with it. Maybe we could even share yeah. like some personal ways that we failed and how we came back from that. That yeah, might be that. helpful to you guys because, you know, we're all navigating it. And especially, mm-hmm. you know, at the pivots that we talked about two weeks ago, <laughs> it's like we're yeah. pivoting all the time. For some people, transition, change, and pivots feels like failure. Yes. And I want us to be able to yes. be like, no, I'm just making a change. I'm just yeah. going to pivot because it's the right thing to do. It does not mean I've failed. And I think we need to talk more about that too. I love yeah. this topic, Tiffany. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Uh, Thanks for tuning in, y'all. We love you. We're here for you. We can't wait to hear your feedback. You can reach out to us on Instagram. You can use the contact form on our website. (laughs) Whatever works for you. We love you and we're here for you. Bye. Hey, listeners. Remember to subscribe and comment. It helps others to find the show. To learn more about Tiffany's writing, speaking, or books, visit TiffanyBloom.com. To learn more about Ashley's writing, speaking, or books, visit ashabercrombie.org. See you next week.